Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Today we are covering what is perhaps the most famous story in all of the Old Testament. Uh, everybody pretty much knows uh, at least one aspect of the story. Uh, the little guy beating the big guy. Uh, we hear it, you know, uh, during the playoffs. We hear it during the March Madness. We hear it all sorts of places where the underdog takes on the overdog. I don't know, I don't know if overdog is actually a word, but I'm going to use it anyway. <laughs> um, David taking on his Goliath. But I'm not convinced that's really what this passage is about. This passage really isn't about uh, using your underdog status to work harder or to acknowledge your weaknesses and so forth, and then take on the big guy. I don't think that's what it is, although that's often what it's been turned into. The passage inherently is um, a follow-up on David's anointing. And the two men in the narrative that kind of shape it are the one who does not trust God, although he has the office of king. He does not trust God. He does not see God. He does not understand God. And the other, that being Saul, and the other, David, uh, who has been anointed king but has not taken the throne yet, but who does acknowledge God, who does see who God is, who does understand the God he serves. And it's a challenge to us, to Israel, to, to ask what kind of God do we serve? How do we view him? How do we understand him? As kids, we are, uh, we inherently know to go to something bigger when we're scared. You know, if it's dark or there's a monster under our bed or a monster in our closet or whatever it is, we what? We run to our parents. I'm scared. There's this. I had a bad dream. There's this. We run to our parents. We run to people who are over us. We run to them and we, we say, we, since you're bigger, since you seem to have all this together, I want you to come help me. But for some reason, as adults, we buy into the delusion that we're the big ones. That we got everything together. That we can take care of things. And we stop running to the one that's bigger. We stop leaning on him. We stop relying on him. We stop seeing him. The God we serve. That's the one who can indeed Deliver us, direct us, guide us. You know the story well, I'm sure. They, the story starts with the, the Philistines gathering against the Israelites, and a challenge is made. Um, it's interesting this challenge is made. This is not something that's typical of uh, Israel or uh, the, the the area. This send out one guy against another guy. It's actually something that originates in the Greek Isles, which um, goes to the heart of who the Philistines actually were. That's where they originated. That's where they came from. They put forth this challenge. Our best against your best. If your best beats our best, you win. If our best beats your best, we win. And we become the servants of you or you to us. And the guy is big. He's huge. 
that the Philistines choose. He comes out and he challenges Israel repeatedly, daily. Come on, send somebody out. You know that Israel refused to do so. Meanwhile, back on the farm, literally, David is watching the sheep, and his dad calls him in and says, David, I want you to deliver some food to your brothers. They need some provisions. They've been out there for a while. This has lasted longer than we thought. They need some provision. Go ahead and take this out there. So David makes his trip. He gets there. And as he arrives, he hears the taunting coming from Goliath, from the champion of the Philistines. It says in verse 23 that uh, he shouted his usual words. And when David heard all this, uh, or which David heard, when all the Israelites' men saw Goliath, again, they retreated from him and they were terrified. And word had spread throughout the camp that, wow, anybody who's able to win this battle will certainly have the king's favor, will certainly be uh, in, in good standing. Family won't be taxed. King will give him his daughter, all sorts of things. And David asked, what's going on? And his brother, Eliab, talked about this previously, chastises David. Attacks him, calling him arrogant, possessing an evil heart. And David responds like a typical youngest. Being the youngest, I don't know how many times I said this sentence. What have I done now? <laughs> so I just have this question. Why are we letting this Philistine put down and attack our God? David volunteers. Saul tries to give David his armor, but it says it didn't fit him. Now that goes to, obviously, the size difference between David and Saul. Saul's probably, given what we know of size and so forth, he's probably about my height, 6'1". David's probably about 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, somewhere in there. So the armor's not going to fit very well. But it's more than just a statement of their size. It's a statement of their methodology. That the way Saul was king was not the way David was going to be king. It didn't fit him. It wasn't appropriate. Saul did not acknowledge God and David would do that. Verse 41, we pick up as David steps out, it says the Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Jeez, David is nothing more than a little bit of stick that's been thrown at him. Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give you your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with the sword, spear, javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel, whom you have defied 
today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky, and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saved. For the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. That's the heart of the message. The battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over. David doesn't see this as his victory. David doesn't see this as his preparation. David doesn't see this as we often have turned it into. David sees this as a reflection on the God of Israel. Last week we talked about how there's no task too small for the person who is following God's leadership. Whatever God leads you to, whether it's, we would view it as menial or, or large, we do it for God's glory. This week, we see that there's no task too big. There's nothing that we face that in God's power, for God's glory, we can't overcome. So the first reality we see here is that it's not the size of the opposition that matters. David didn't see a giant. David saw somebody mocking God. That's the issue. It wasn't about him being an opponent, an earthly opponent. It wasn't about him being somebody who uh, stood for the Philistines. It wasn't about any of that. It was somebody who was mocking Israel's God, our God. Patton Robinson said, in any situation, what you are determines what you see, and what you see determines what you do. David saw somebody mocking God. David saw somebody who was um, standing in a place, in a position that dishonored the true God. And as we deal with this reality, as we begin to, 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 to deal with the situations around us, the, the, the circumstances that we face in our life, the challenges that we may face in terms of presenting God to a world, in terms of communicating who God is. Sometimes we can feel like it's more than we can handle. And that's all right. It is often more than we can handle. But it's not more than we and God together. We need to acknowledge that. We need to remember that. We also need to remember that we are capable of growth. I would venture to say that most of us, if not all of us in this room, if we compared who we were in Christ 10 years ago to who we are in Christ today, we would say we're very different people. We've grown. We've learned. We've matured. We've we've experience God's goodness and God's grace and God's strength through difficult times, through difficult realities. We are capable of growth. Back in 1924, there was an expedition that set out from England to conquer Mount Everest. And as far as is known, um, most of the party that attempted that trip died well before they reached the summit. But one of the individuals who was part of the crew, he made it back to London, having given up partway up, 
And he was giving a report to this committee. And he turned to this photograph of Mount Everest that was there in the room, and, and he talked to the mountain. He said, Everest, we tried to conquer you once, but you overpowered us. We tried to conquer you a second time, but again, you were too much for us. But Everest, I want you to know that we are going to conquer you, for you cannot grow any bigger, and we can. We need to realize that, recognize that. Now, it wasn't for another 30 years, but eventually Everest was climbed. We're capable of growth. We're capable of being different tomorrow than we were today. It all begins with our view of God. You see, the second reality here is that it's not about us, ultimately. Number one, it's not about being personally insulted or challenged. David was insulted here. You come at me with sticks. But David didn't take that personally. He didn't say. He didn't throw a different insult back at him. Oh, yeah, well, you're just a big duty head or something. <laughs> That's not the game that David was playing. David said, what? He said, I come to you in the name of God. David didn't make it about him. David didn't make it about his situation and circumstances. And this is important because in life we find ourselves in conflict. We find ourselves in struggles. We find ourselves with people who are saying things about us, sometimes that are untrue, oftentimes things that are very cruel. And we need to remember in those moments that it's not our battle, it's God's battle. And we need to remember that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual things, the, the principalities, the things in the spiritual realm. If it bleeds, it's not your enemy. We need to remember that. I think part of the reason Christianity has lost its, its, its influence in our culture is because we made it about other people. And people care about other people. Whether it's leaders or other things, people connect themselves to a people. So if we attack a person, people see that as an attack on themselves. They're not interested in what we have. But if we deal with concepts, if we deal with realities, if we deal with, with circumstances, then we have a better chance of connecting. Because it's in the concepts, it's in the mind, it's in the thoughts, it's in the expressions where Satan is doing his work. We need to keep that in mind and not take things personally when we're attacked. No, that's not easy. I struggle with it as much as anybody. But it's a reality that God has called us to. It's not about us. We've died to ourselves if we're believers. It's not also, secondly, it's not about personal glory. David wasn't out here for the glory of it. Another distinction from him and Saul, part of the reason Saul wanted to give him his armor was he wanted partial credit. Here, wear my stuff. So when people go out there, they can say, hey, Saul played a part in this. 
the end of the day, it's who your God is that makes all the difference. And there's an inherent truth in this, in this, in that sentence, and that is simply this: every person is serving a God in his or her life. Every person, even the atheist, is serving a God in their life. And so the question we have to deal with is: which God is it we're serving? Because every person is transformed as well, into the image of his or her God. The God you serve becomes the person you are, becomes the life you live. And there's three gods in this narrative. The first is the small God. This is the God of the Israelites. This is the God of, of, of the soldiers there that are seeing what's being done and, and how they're being challenged. And what they're facing and what they're dealing with is too big for them because their God is too small. Notice in verse 24 it says, Now when they saw the man, they fled from him and were very afraid. When you live by sight rather than by faith, we are defeated before the battle even starts. We need to understand that the size of our God, how we view God, makes a big difference. Do we trust him? Can we trust the God that we serve? If we've created him in our minds to be a small, inconsequential, disinterested, disconnected God, the answer is no, we can't trust that God. But that's not the true God. The second God in the narrative is who? It's the true God. It's the big God. It's David's God. And notice who David becomes because of the God that he serves. We, we see somebody who ignores the doubts expressed by the faithless around him. In verse 33, Saul says, you can't go and fight this Philistine. You're just a youth, and he's been a warrior since he was young. David said, that ain't nothing but a thing. That's not, in, that's not an issue. Because what? Because I've seen how my God has delivered me in the past. When I was out shepherding and, and wild animals would come after my sheep. Again, notice he doesn't say, I fought him off because I was a great warrior and a great soldier. He says, my God delivered me. And so the, the naysayers around him, he wasn't interested in what they had to say. We need to remember when God has moved before. Like I said, David's reflection here was what God has done. Therefore, I know what he's going to do. talked about this before, that the, the I am name in, Genesis, in Exodus 3 that God gives to Moses can be translated, I am who I was. I will be who I was. 
and that what God is communicating in the, the giving of the name that way is if you want to know who I am, if you want to know my character, my nature, my essence, you have to walk with me. There has to be a journey together. There has to be a story that we told. That's the only way you can know my character, my nature. So we have to remember when God has moved before. And then third, we need to forsake fleshly means which have not proven of value in favor of the God who has been true. David refuses the armor. David refuses the military trappings. David refuses the things that just don't fit. And again, like I said, they don't fit because they don't reflect a reliance on God in this particular instance. Instead, he's going to take out some, some rocks. Sling. Interestingly, what I think is interesting about him is the elements that David uses are God made, not man made. The leather, the staff, the rocks, they all come from very directly from things God has given. Versus the armor sword, and so forth, that require a lot of investment from man. The text says repeatedly there's no sword in his hand. God is fulfilling his word. In verse 47, notice what David says there. It says, in that that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. I'm not bringing a sword out here because that's not how God saves. God gives us the tools. We need to grow in our understanding, our imagination, our concept of what God is capable of in the lives that we live. We need to see God as big. Henry Ford, one of the great inventors and businessmen of American history, once said, I'm looking for a lot of men with an infinite capacity for not knowing what cannot be done. Well, tell me what cannot be done. Tell me what can be done. That's David's mindset. Why? Because his God is big. And we need to, because of that, we need to be ready in season and out of season. David here is what? He's just delivering some cheese. That's all he's there for. And God turned that opportunity into something big. In our life, in our experience, in our realities, we never know what we're doing that God might turn to his glory, to his purposes, to accomplish his task. But there is a third type of God here. That's the false God. That's the God of Goliath. He views himself as a type of God, and he curses David by his gods, verse 43 tells us. False gods will always let you down. 
Hideyoshi, a Japanese warlord who ruled over Japan in the late 1500s, commissioned a colossal statue of Buddha for a shrine in Kyoto. It took 50,000 men five years to build. It was a massive complex of great beauty and splendor. But it had only been completed a few weeks when an earthquake struck and brought the whole thing down to crumble. And it's said that when Hideyoshi arrived, he pulled an arrow out of his quiver and shot it at the Buddha and exclaimed, I put you here at great expense, and you can't even look after your own temple. How many times in the Bible do we see statements of that nature? Where We saw it earlier in Samuel where the Philistines, what, they stood their God back up. After it had fallen before the ark. False God is really no God at all, and it will let you down. Though we do not face a pantheon of false gods like the Israelites did, we face pressures from a pantheon of false values, materialism, love of leisure, sensuality, worship of self, security, and many others. The second commandment deals with such idols. This may be something that most of us cannot relate to unless we include life goals that revolve around something other than God himself. What is the object of our affections, our efforts, our attention? I believe there's two ways to evaluate what a person truly values. First way is who are their heroes? Who are their heroes? Who are the people they put on pedestals? Who are the people that they honor, the people they think about, the people they're constantly pointing to and talking about? Secondly, where do they spend their time and resources? That will tell you. Those two questions will tell you what you truly value in life, what is truly important to you. At the end of the day, the issue really isn't whether God is on our side, as some try to make it. The issue is whether we are on God's side. Do we see him? Do we honor him? Do we acknowledge him? Do we praise him? Do we put him at the center of everything that we do and are? And do we have a correct appraisal, at least as far as possible, of what he's capable of? What kind of God are you serving today? Is he too small to help you deal with life's issues? Is he a false God that can't help you at all? Or is he the true and living God? created all it is and holds everything in his hands. Calls you to acknowledge his place and his position in this life. Let's pray. Holy Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, for your love. Thank you for each person here. God, I pray in this time of decision Lord, you would reveal yourself, your power, your majesty in magnificent, significant ways. 
Lord, I pray that you would be with anyone here who's never acknowledged you, who's following a false God, who's following something that's lesser than. Help them to, to see the, the futility of that, the foolishness of that, and turn their life over to you. God, I pray that you be with me and my brothers and sisters that we would always see you for who you truly are and not who we've sometimes turned you into. And we would act with boldness and courage, not based upon our own capacity and our own abilities, but based upon who you are. God, use this time to draw us closer to you. In Christ's name I pray.